to know that on every step, every step that you've taken, that God has been with you. Trying to wrap our mind around that thought. It's something that we carry with us. It's something that we, we hold to our hearts. It's something that we share with others. But really wrapping our mind around the thought that every single place that we have been this last week, that God has been with us. And not only that, every place that you are going to be going this next week, guess what? God's already there. And God knows exactly where it is that you are going to be taken. He knows the events that are going to be taking place. And I truly believe he is using this moment here this morning to help prepare you for all of the mountaintop experiences and for all of those valley existences that you're going to experience during this next week. It's hard to wrap our mind around the thought that the creator of the universe cares about our individual lives. And yet that is... What we learn as we read through scripture, we discover that we are not alone and that God never intended for us to be alone. And he wants for us to have relationship with him. But we struggle with how to live out that reality. Now, I put on the front of your glory, praise, and honor this week a, another mind-bending picture that Sean brought up. You look at this picture here and... Perhaps you see the, the older woman that is here, and it looks as if she has her head covered, she is wearing a nice furry shawl around her neck. You notice the large protruding nose that is there in the picture, and yet if you look closely, you can also see a younger woman in the picture also. Have you already seen this as you were looking at it when you came in? Can you see how that the wart on the older woman's nose is actually the nose of the younger woman? And how that the mouth of the older woman is actually a, a necklace, a choker bracelet or necklace that is around the neck of the younger woman? Can you see the eyelashes of the younger woman coming off the nose of the older? You look and you see, and depending on the way that your mind works, one will jump out to you right away. Maybe you first saw the younger woman. Maybe you first saw the older woman. Maybe you're looking at this right now saying, I don't see a woman at all. <laughs> and yet right here is a great example of how you can have two things at the same time. That one picture can be a combination of two different images. And I chose this picture specifically for today because I want us to talk about what I think to some is the greatest mind bender of all. And that is trying to figure out what do we do with this subject of grace and baptism? What do we do with these two ideas? Is it possible to have a high view of grace and at the same time to have a high view of baptism? Because I know how some of us are. Whenever we start talking about the subject of grace, our hands become sweaty. Our hands become sweaty because it sounds too good to be true that, that God's grace is our doorway into salvation. 
And we want to do something. We want to participate in something with, with God. And so whenever we hear a lot about grace, sometimes we say, but wait a minute, what about obedience? Isn't there something to do with obedience? Isn't there something that I have to be part of? And you see, our religious culture has basically established a zero-sum equation with this. It's that you can have one or the other. That one must be sacrificed in order that the other can be appreciated. If I am to have a high view of grace, then I cannot have a high view of baptism. Or, if I am to have a high view of baptism, well that must mean that I naturally do not have a high view of grace. And so here's what we have to do. We have to try to explain away all the different passages that don't agree with what we see on the screen. And so we have to explain away passages that talk about God's saving grace. And we are left to try to put away different passages that connect baptism with salvation. The interesting thing is that the passages that we often try to explain away or bend to our own interpretation were written by the same person. Now today, for our time together here for our study, this is going to be more of a teaching time, all right? Sometimes you got motivational lessons, sometimes it is opportunities to inspire, and I'm just going to tell you up front, this is going to be more of a, of a teaching type lesson as we walk through this. You need to know that the most ardent proclaimer in your New Testament of the gospel of grace that we are saved by what Jesus did and not by what we do, was the Apostle Paul. And it is from his pen that we get some beautiful passages that deal with the mercy of God. Maybe you've read this one before. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Maybe you have this highlighted in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Maybe you have enjoyed reading before from the writing to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, can the Apostle Paul be any clearer? We are saved by the righteousness of God, not by the righteous things that we do. We are saved by faith in the righteous work of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. This is the gospel, and the good news is a gospel of grace. And yet Paul sees no problem with preaching a gospel of grace while at the same time holding to a high view of baptism. In fact, he will often refer to his readers washing in order to illustrate the working of grace. Maybe you've read these passages before. Romans chapter 6 that we looked at earlier. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians chapter 2. When you come to Christ, or when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And Paul would also write to the churches in Galatia. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Can Paul be any clearer? The good news is experienced in baptism. There is a uniting that takes place. There is a clothing that happens. Paul has the expectation that all of his readers have been baptized. Otherwise, the references to baptism and what took place when the individuals were baptized would make no sense to his original readers. And he refers to their baptism to remind them of the new life that they have in Christ. A new life that was made possible by God's grace. A new life that was accepted by faith and experienced through baptism. You see, Paul is both pro-grace and he is pro-baptism. The picture is one. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, you find different narratives that teach about grace. Because I think stories have the ability to help us experience biblical truths. When Jesus wanted to talk about God's love for mankind, you understand that he didn't just stand up and give a sermon. He told a story about a prodigal son and his father. So we should not be surprised that you go to your Bible and you're able to find different stories that help us experience the mind-bending concept of grace and, and baptism. And so just for a few minutes, open up your Bibles if you'd like to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and there is a story that's found there between verses 26 and 39 that, that I want us to consider for just a moment. Now in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God is pushing the church beyond ethnic borders and national borders and social borders and economic borders. And the good news of Jesus is spreading from person to person, from house to house. And the Spirit has been in a close working relationship with a gentleman by the name of Philip. He was earlier chosen by the disciples to care for those who were marginalized. And the believers in Christ, when they are scattered from Jerusalem, they go in all different areas. And Philip is able to escape the persecution and he ends up in an area called Samaria. And the Samaritans, they don't believe like the Jews. The Jews don't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans don't like those who are from the Hebrew descent. And there is this antagonism that goes on. But Philip ends up there. And because of his powerful preaching, he ends up bringing droves and droves of people to Christ. Minister and teacher Anna Carter Florence calls Philip the first century Billy Graham. Because it seemed like that everywhere that he went, people just kept coming to Jesus Christ. And it's on the hills of this big tent revival in Samaria that an angel informs Philip that he needs to go down this desert road. 
And I have to think that it would be a pretty disappointing experience for Philip. I mean, he's been preaching in modern-day San Francisco or Chicago or New York, bringing the masses to an understanding of the gospel. And now the Spirit is sending him down this stretch. There's no village in sight. And I can picture Philip going, why am I even here? I was doing some great work back there in Samaria. But knowing that God often has some insane mind-bending ideas, Philip obeys and he heads out. And this is where the story really gets interesting. Along comes this carriage carrying an Ethiopian. He is on his way home from Jerusalem. Now he is a foreigner by all definitions. We don't know exactly what constituted Ethiopia back then, but from the days of Homer, Ethiopia was the term that you used if you talked about being in no man's land. If you talked about being at the outer point of the earth, the idea of, in our time, going to Timbuktu, all right? That was how Ethiopia was used. And so he was an Ethiopian. He was a foreigner. And the text is going to tell us, as you read through the story, that he was a eunuch. He was a man who by circumstance or surgery was unable to father children. And Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1 said that no one who had been emasculated by crushing or cutting could enter into the assembly of the Lord. As a eunuch, he was not permitted into the assembly of God's people. And so what does Luke mean as he writes here in Acts that here is a man going home from Jerusalem after being in Jerusalem to worship? What kind of man is it who is willing to walk around the edges and look in, not being allowed to go where all the other worshipers go? Not being allowed to sacrifice. Not being allowed to hear the priest. All he can do is ask how the service was. All he could do was find people who were leaving and say, how many people came today to experience God? He's peeking through the knot holes. He's getting all of his information secondhand. But he's come to Jerusalem because he desires to be near Jehovah God, even if only from a distance. Why would any human being continue knocking at a locked door and refuse to go home? Maybe he's one of the people that just think that he can rise to a level of wealth and, and power so that an exception can be made to him and the rules just aren't going to apply. After all, he was wealthy. He's traveling in his own chariot, it seems. He's got a scroll that he's reading from. He's in service to the queen of Ethiopia. The he's the treasurer of the country. Maybe the rules don't apply, he thinks. He's the ultimate outsider. And yet it is this Ethiopian, this Ethiopian unit that the Spirit tells Philip, why don't you go and talk to him about Jesus? First Samaritans, now eunuchs from Ethiopia. How mind-bending can God get, Philip must think. And so he takes off, and as he approaches the chariot, he begins to hear the man reading something that is familiar. He's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, a passage that says, As a lamb that is led to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is dumb, he did not open his mouth. Who shall declare his generations? And Philip goes and asks, do you understand what in the world it is that you're reading? The Ethiopian says, I, I, I don't. Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip begins right there to talk to him about Jesus. Who the text would say is also cut off from the land of the living without children. 
And you have to think that the Ethiopian is starting to think, I wonder if these verses apply to me. I'm a foreigner. I'm a eunuch. I wonder if I can be included. You see, the eunuch is doing what we all do. He's reading the Bible looking for his name because we all want to see a verse that just speaks to me and a verse that is my verse and a verse that says, yes, God is listening to my situation. Just a promise, just a phrase, something that matters. And I believe he found it just a a few pages over in the scroll. You see, they began reading in Isaiah 53. And I truly believe, even though the text does not say that They also read the words of Isaiah 56. It says, no longer let the foreigner say, surely the Lord will separate me from his people. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, To love the name of the Lord and to worship Him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I can imagine how that the eunuch says, that's me. He's talking about me. All of a sudden, the Ethiopian has discovered that there's hope. Because Isaiah is speaking of a day that would be coming. When this Ethiopian, this eunuch, would no longer have to stand on the outside looking in. He would no longer have to be separated from God's people. He finds out there's hope. And he finds out that there's grace. And Philip explained to him that the good news Isaiah spoke of could be realized in Jesus Christ that very day. And so our text back in Acts says that as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Grace is for everybody, right? Isn't that what you said? The sacrifice of Jesus paid my sin debt, right? Is there any reason why I can't participate in the grace of God? And he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And they came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Now we got to ask a question here. Why did the Ethiopian even express a desire to be baptized? There's nothing about baptism in Isaiah's text. The text that they were reading talked about the coming Messiah and how all nations would be brought into the kingdom of God. But I think the key is found in verse 35. It says that Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You see, when Philip talked to the Ethiopian about Jesus, he talked with the Ethiopian about baptism. Baptism is a human response that arises out of faith, expresses faith, and receives God's gracious gift. Faith leads us into the waters of grace. 
And it is in baptism that we express our trust in what Jesus has done. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the act of obedience that justifies us. And baptism is our moment of union with that act. It is where we express our faith in and our solidarity with and our dependence on the very action of Christ. You need to understand, baptism is not effectual because of what we believe about baptism. And it's not effectual because of the fact that maybe we believe in baptism. But rather, baptism is effectual through our faith in the work of God in Christ. You see, the eunuch went home rejoicing, not because he had been baptized, but because of what his baptism signified. He had discovered the very grace of God in the story of Jesus Christ. And his desire to experience and be one with that story led him down into the water, where in the latter words of Paul, he died and was buried with Christ, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, therefore he may also live a new life. Salvation is God's work, not ours. This is the plain meaning of the word grace. It is unmerited favor. It is God's disposition of saving love toward undeserving sinners. Wrath is what you and I deserve because of our sin, but grace is what is bestowed because of God's love. And I truly believe that a theology of grace must saturate our thinking. God's goal is to redeem and transform all that have fallen and to have for himself a people that are his very own. And the history of redemption is the history of God's relentless pursuit of this goal. Faith trusts in and depends on God's saving work in Christ and that trust is demonstrated in each and every baptism that we witness. See, we do not save ourselves as some believe, by being baptized. We walk by faith into the waters of grace. And as Luther once put it, by faith, we extend the beggar's hand. You see, grace and baptism can coexist. You do not have to devalue one to to value the other. Paul expected it. That's why he would say over and over again to stress the message that we are saved through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and at the same time would point people to their baptism to remind them that when they were baptized, they clothed themselves with Christ. They died to themselves. They submitted to the beautiful work of God. And it's in the story of the Ethiopian that it's demonstrated. God did not save the Ethiopian because he was baptized. The Ethiopian was saved because of his faith in the work of Jesus. The Ethiopian was baptized because he discovered that a gracious God was willing to save him and nothing would stand in his way from experiencing that new life in Christ. You see, he knew what it was to have barriers in his way. To being close to God. He knew what it was to have to stand on the outside only hoping and wishing that he could be with the worshipers of God. And now, now he's been told that the barrier has been taken away because of Jesus and that he too 
can experience new life in him. And so my question for you this morning is what's standing in your way? Maybe you're one of those who felt like that in order to have a high view of grace, that you could not submit to being baptized because that would mean that somehow you felt like you were earning your salvation. Or maybe, maybe you were baptized thinking that because of your obedience, God would check a certain box and say, oh, well, I will save you now. What's standing in your way of seeing grace and baptism together? God's grace is available to you this morning. You receive it by faith. You experience it through baptism. And like the Ethiopian, you celebrate it with joy. And so I want to encourage you. If you're someone here this morning who has heard about the good news of Jesus Christ, if you've heard about how because of the love of God, he sent his one and only son into the world so that all who believe in him might have life. I want to encourage you to clothe yourself with Christ this morning. I want to encourage you to die to yourself this morning. I want to encourage you to be raised to a new life this morning because there's nothing standing in your way but being united with Christ. And so we call you to be baptized because of the grace of God. Will you walk into the water and extend your faith just like the beggar's hand? Why don't you think about that? And if you need to respond, we encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.